right, welcome back to another edition of the Locked on Wizards podcast. Ben Standig here. I am the host of the Locked on Wizards podcast. You can also find me on NBC4Washington.com and Fanrag Sports. Joining me here, back by popular demand, Mr. Rashad Mobley from TruthAboutIt.net. He is on Twitter, at Rashad20, and he is going to help me break down the Wizards at the halfway point of the season. I broke down... The Wizards breakdown against Utah last night with Todd Dibus from Washington Times. You can check out that podcast, all our podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, and else you do your podcasting. To some degree, we're going to put aside the in-the-moment part of the Wizards and look back at the first half of the year in totality. But obviously, we're going to spring a leak and, and focus on and, and, and discuss the various aspects of that loss and so on and so on. Um so Rashad, first and foremost, many thanks for being here. Are you uh, fully recovered from last night? Are you ready to just uh, focus big picture, or, or, or is uh, the idea of what happened last night still stuck in your craw, as it were? I'm ready for the big picture, although I should go back a little bit so I can tell a story, a brief story, about why I appreciate you and standing. So as we both know, the Wizards gave out a all-star pack that was 70% confetti, 30% viewfinder, and M&Ms. And when I walked into the press room, I had at least three people hold up the viewfinder and ask me, what is this? And instantly, I felt like my age jumped from 42 to 102. <laughs> Yet, I went on Twitter, and I was comforted by the fact that you not only you knew what it was, but you reminisced about it briefly in your, in your tweet. And that made me happy because... I was just looking around the media room like this this can't be real. Like this was an integral part of my early childhood was the assortment of cards I had to stick in my viewfinder. So so that's a brief non wizard related story. Oh no. Viewfinders uh I I mean yeah, it really was a nostalgic moment, uh to to uh to see that I'm trying to remember all the shows I used to watch. It was a lot of uh I feel like the uh, what was I what was I watching Car- the cartoon shows I want to say uh, the, like the superhero shows yeah absolutely I, the, yeah the viewfinder was the bomb uh, I, I don't know I mean kids today I don't know if they use such things but you, you have you have one um, I saw the picture you put up on Twitter uh, of your kid taking a look at it so yeah good good stuff from the Wizards unfortunately came on a bad time um, <laughs> because. They, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, look, I mean, Bradley Beal and John Wall, the two potential All-Stars, they certainly did some good things, but they were certainly part of the bad stuff as well. But we'll, like I said, we're going to focus more on the big picture stuff today. We've got some awards to uh, hand out. So, Rashad, let's just get started here. Uh, team most valuable player. I mean, this, uh, you know, if we did nominees, the list wouldn't be that long, but that said... You know what? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make any definition of what a most valuable player means. Could be all kinds of things. You're the guest. I will let you go first. Who is the Wizards' first half team MVP for you? I mean, for me, it's a no-brainer. It's Bradley Beal. Um, first and foremost, if I told you that between Wall and Beal, someone would be hurt and they would miss a stretch of the first half of the season, your first guess would definitely be Beal, just because of his history, non-season notwithstanding, and it's been the opposite. He's been the player that can be relied upon with or without wall. Uh, he has career highs in assists, rebounds, points, field goal attempts, field goal attempts, 
Uh, he's added the step back to his game. He's even more comfortable making plays off the dribble. Those few, uh, those few instances when there's no point guard in the game, and he just he looks like a number one player or a one B player, as as he would as he would call himself. So he's the MVP by far. I know our colleague Glenn Concert said he's the best shooting guard in the East. I think I'd respectfully disagree, or at least put up an argument for Demar Derozan at least at this point in the season, but. They're both all-stars. Bill's definitely an all-star, whether he gets voted in or not. And I've just been impressed by his, it's just his body control. And I know that's not really a, a qualification for an MVP, but he's, he's in control of his body. He knows when he wants to go left, when he wants to go right, when he wants to drive, absorbing the contact in the air and still being able to hit a shot. And, you know, he's a legitimate number one player. And it, it can't be lost that when John Wall was out, this team could have easily crumbled and it could have been rudderless. And he, I mean, they had their bumps in the road, but he definitely was the stabilizer. So he's my MVP. Um, the Wizards, I'm just trying to think about this. So he's played every game this year. That's 41 games. He's played the 13 games in the playoffs. That's 54 games. And he played from the 11th. Hold on. Let me do the quick math here. 70, he played 69 of the last 71 games last year, and the two he sat out, I'm pretty sure he sat out because, like, uh, Scott Brooks was, like, looking to rest some guys. One was the very last game of the year. So, um, so what did I just say? 69 plus 13, uh, 80, what's that? 82 plus 41, 123. So he's played 123 of the last 125 games this team has played for a guy who, the first, you know, three, three or so years of his career, it was how many games is he missing? I mean, it is important to note that, you know, they always say the best trade for any athlete uh, is availability. And uh, that was something you could not say about Beal. And so you're right. At the end of the day, you know, the fact that not only has he played at a high level, he's, you know, his ability to score in different ways. It feels like we haven't talked about it that as much, but, you know, his his improvements in the dribble drive game or especially early in the year really 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 was a big deal so um you know Bradley Beal definitely that I mean look John Wall has said as much himself so who are we to argue with um with with John Wall and you know we're not even gonna we're not even gonna crap on him too much for this lat for this late uh or this recent fourth quarter disaster where he's now uh one for 15 I think in the last three fourth quarters um, we're, we're not even going to bother him too much about how he seems to miss like every other technical free throw that he takes. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I hear some people note, make a note, well, look, Bradley Beal wasn't as good or didn't have as, you know, wasn't as good without John Wall or, you know, the Wizards, the record without John Wall. You know, that, 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 that type of comment always drives me crazy in that. It's not like they replaced. It's not, it'd be one thing if you say they took John Wall away and replaced him with another starting point guard who just maybe isn't as good as John Wall or something, and then note the difference. They didn't. They replaced him with Tim Frazier, who is currently not even playing in the rotation. No disrespect to Frazier, but he's just a backup. That that that, that argument just doesn't make any sense to me. Bradley Beal's game. It's not that it's reliant on John Wall. The beauty of his game is he doesn't demand. He doesn't need the ball to be a good player. But you have to also, if he doesn't have the ball, you have to physically get him the ball. John Wall's good at that. This this team is built, and we we both heard Quinn Snyder talk before the game about how well not only Brooks and Wall play off each other, but Scott Brooks calls sets that are to their strengths. And I think that when someone says 
they like to comment on what Bill did without Wall. This team is built with those two at the top and everything else goes through them. If one is missing, they're capable of staying afloat, but ultimately this team is not going to, they're definitely not going to reach the Eastern Conference Finals, but they would be hard-pressed to even make the playoffs without both players at full strength. So that's, that's kind of frustrating too. And if you look around the NBA right now, how many stars are having to carry teams that they normally wouldn't have to or are struggling or just kind of staying 500 because they don't have their full complement of players. But the Wizards are no different in that regard. Um, I, I, I didn't ask this, but if, if we went for a, who was the subtle MVP of the team, uh, whatever that means, I, I would go with Mike Scott because he's really helped that second unit uh, get, give it a, a scoring threat. He helped out when Markeith Morris wasn't ready to go earlier in the year. And, uh, you know, he's sort of been like the way Jason Smith was last year, maybe the way Rasul Butler was a couple years ago, Martel Webster before that, the guy who kind of comes out of nowhere and gives you a big lift, and he's done that. We, we may have already seen the best of Mike Scott this year. You know, I mean, he's shooting uh, 43% from the from the three-point line. You know, do I think he's going to finish there? Probably not. But whatever it is, you, you know, if, in terms of the regular season, you need – you need guys to pick you up here and there. He did a very good job of that. So I'm, that's not an award anybody gives out. But if we want to give a subtle MVP, I would go with uh, I would go with Mike Scott. You wanted me to grade Scott Brooks, or for us to grade Scott Brooks. So I think it's a good time to do that. Uh, the other day at practice, we asked various wizardy people for grades. We got a lot of B minuses and C pluses, but that was for the team as a whole. So again, as the guest, I'll let you go first. Grade for Scott Brooks for in the first half of the season. I'm not to piggyback off of what you heard yesterday, but I'm I'm going to give him a B minus. Um, I I think it's difficult to coach a team the way you want to coach it when everybody is not healthy. Um, and he briefly alluded to it yesterday before the game on it is frustrating when Otto's on the minutes restricted restriction walls on the minutes restriction and you can't really you can't really do what you want to do with the rotation and getting players going in and out and he's kind of struggled with that there's been some head scratching moments like last night with um jody meeks playing extended minutes and jason smith just kind of being thrust into the fray after being on ice for so long so he's had some of those moments and i didn't and this is just a personal thing you can feel free to disagree but i didn't hear as much fire and brimstone before yesterday's game as I wanted to hear because, you know, he kind of said, you know, the team can't get pumped up and it shouldn't be in this, bu- in this business. And part of that is true, but it wasn't just that the Utah Jazz blew them up by 47. This is also yet another team that is shorthanded and under 500. So I would have liked to have seen a little more. I know this, it isn't in Scott Brooks to do that necessarily, but just a little more yelling and, more histrionics to say, look, we need this for many reasons. Let's go out and do that. And I wonder, you know, I'm not in the locker room. I don't always stare at him when he's on the bench, but I wonder sometimes if he's a little too laid back and if the team feeds off of him. So, you know, at the same time, as Todd alluded to yesterday's show, they're still on pace to win more games than we're used to seeing around here. So that can't be discarded. He held the team afloat when Wall was out. That also can't be discarded because he could have easily drifted under 500 and then we'd be even more critical. So he's done a good job based on what's happened. He can make some improvements as his team gets healthier, headed into the all-star break and beyond. I'd like to see that jump 
that the team made last year in January and February, a demonstrative jump that says, okay, we struggle, we're healthy, and now here we go. So that's why I can't give them anything higher than a B minus. Yeah, I'm sort of torn listening to your argument. I'm thinking about it. And, you know, look, on the one hand, the injuries are are a real thing. And, you know, while, you know, he's also not the one totally picking the roster, you know, as far as we know. So he's, he's limited to what he has. And, you know, you've all heard me now rail about the fact that the back, you know, the bottom three roster spots are irrelevant. The game, last couple games in particular, are circumstances where I could imagine Scott Brooks might want to do different things than he could, but he had no choice because he didn't have other players to turn to, so he had to use what he had. Um, but on the other hand, you know, I go back to like the whole Sadoransky thing, right? I mean, Sadoransky's not even getting in the lineup unless John Wall gets hurt. I mean, who knows when he would have played if Wall doesn't get hurt? You know, Mike Scott was getting DNPCDs like three out of six games before he became the best shooter of all time. Um, you know, and <laughs> so those are things that sort of frustrate me. With, with with Brooks, you mentioned is he a little too laid back, and sometimes I do wonder that as well. Um, you know, look, everybody, people, people are who they are, and I can't really make somebody. You know, I'm sure there are people who look at me and go, "Dude, stop being the laziest person on the planet." Like, get you know, get 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 going here with what you need to do in life. Uh, stop doing stuff, and I'm like, "Yeah, I hear you. I'll get there." But uh, yeah, so I don't know. But you know, on the other hand, you know, they do have a winning record. Um, you know, he, he's, he's, uh, you know, whatever improvements are made, you know, from certain players, Sadoransky, Kelly Oubre, so on and so on, you know, you have to give him and, you know, slash the coaching staff credit. Uh, it doesn't feel like we've had as many interesting ATO plays this year. Last year, one of the big things I enjoyed watching about Brooks was like how many like amazing plays they seem to be calling out of timeouts. We're not getting that this time. At least I'm not noticing it, recognizing it. But, uh, you know, you put it all together, I-, I guess I'll go maybe a touch harsher at C+. That's probably unfair, again, when you factor in the injuries and what he wasn't getting and the fact that they do have this record. But, you know, look, seeing as how the ups and downs of this team remain a thing, and he's the coach, like, it's not always on the coach, but you know what I mean? Like, he has to take responsibility. And and I will note, not only did they lose to Utah last night, this, this is a Utah team they lost to by 47, but earlier they lost to Brooklyn, and then in the second game, trailed Brooklyn by a 40 after having lost to them. So you would think on some level, if a coach has can get to sort of motivate the players, some people say that's not what the coach does. I don't know if I totally buy that. But if you can't get them up to for the rematch against the teams that you already lost to, uh, that's a little weird. But in any event, I don't want to pick on him too much. Scott Brooks, generally speaking, I think has done a very good job. But, you know, for the first half of the year, considering expectations, give me C+. Plus. Maybe I'm being unfair. Maybe I should be with you in the B minus camp, but you know, I don't know. I feel like I got the red pen out today. <laughs> um, all right, let's get some more here. We're looking at the first half of the Wizards season here on the Lockdown Wizards podcast. Most impressive win. I mean, look, they've got 23 of them. Again, 18, 23 and 18. So there's a few wins to pick from. We probably don't have to go too long on this one. But what what's your uh, most impressive win? So far this season, uh, it was the Christmas Day game. Um, just everything at stake. This is Boston. They didn't have to wear black. You know, you're going to Boston. I think that it's Boston has been one of the top three teams in the NBA all year, uh, right with Cleveland, Golden State, and Houston. And to go in there and you kind of saw everything good and bad about the Wizards on display, and they fought through it. 
and won a game. They won a game on that elusive national stage that Wall and Beal are always covering, and it, it was a big deal. It made you think, okay, you know, no matter what happened last year, no matter how much they're struggling against the garbage teams or the substandard teams, I should say, here they are against the best team in the East that rose to the occasion, and they look good and beat them on their home floor. So that that was the most impressive game. But I, I also thought that the first win without John Wall against Minnesota uh, was was a pretty big game only because Bill did not go for 50. In fact, he didn't even break double figures. And the Wizards were reliant on the bench, who scored 49, and Otto Porter scored 22. And they beat an upstart Minnesota team. I thought that was that was the kind of win that I mean I would think that it would kind of galvanize them and didn't end up doing that. They're still inconsistent, but that's the kind of win that says okay, we can hold our own even without Wall. And that's the kind of thing that coaches rally around. So I thought that win was impressive. But number one is clearly the Christmas Day game for me. Yeah, I don't think I need to elaborate more on the Christmas Day game because it's what it, it's what makes me think that even as their Wizards are dealing with these ups and downs. And I'm not giving them. I'm not one of those people that says, "Well, they'll just turn it on in the playoffs and all will be fine." But it just looks at when you play, when you look to have, ahead to Boston in that particular matchup. I really kind of like the Wizards' chances based on the one game. They have three more to go. I like the way the Wizards match up more than I did a year ago. Cleveland, maybe it's the opposite, but with Boston, I like that one. So yeah, for me that that was a very uh, that was that, that was the answer. We we waited all we waited uh, several weeks for the season just to get to that game. And they did a great job in that one. Now, the most frustrating loss. I mean, obviously, we've got a lot of candidates. <laughs> uh, there, <laughs> there are a lot of games that we can pick to as the most frustrating loss. You can go back to that Dallas game where you know, early in the year when Dallas I think, had one win at the time. And, uh, you, you know, obviously both Utah games, the, the recent Atlanta game, the Phoenix game where they were up early and then just – Lost their way uh, against him. I, I, I'm gonna go with the second Brooklyn game because, like I said before, you already lost to them, uh, and not, and then just a few days later, you're going, you're playing them again. Also, hold on, let me make sure I got this right. December 12th, they lose 103.98, and, and you look. I mean, that was a game where, um. You know, I mean, it was close, and like, and I, I, I always try to judge these things. It's not the loss so much as it is the effort and energy. And a lot of these games, it's just the, the Wizards have lost because it feels like they just haven't shown up. So that's December twelfth. John Wall didn't play that game. He comes back in the next game. They start, um, they, they go, uh, they, they start a stretch. They got a bunch of home games. Then they go back on the road to Brooklyn, having just had a good home stand or a relatively good home stand, and they go down by forty. To a team that had already beat them, that is not that good. That was insane that they, that they could come out like that. And if you make me like sort of point to why do I, where's my biggest concern with this team, like that game to me almost signifies the thing because how could you get down for a team that already beat you? You you know you're trying to get on a run here, and then to, losing again is one thing. To get destroyed like that was crazy. So to me, that that was the most frustrating one, but there's almost no wrong answer in this case. So, so what's your most frustrating loss of the year? I mean, if I if I really wanted to, I could make a case for last night, uh, just because. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yes, you have you have Milwaukee at home on the sixth, and then you have Milwaukee at home again. And in between, you have the kind of games that should be 
it should be medicine for you. They should be the games where you get well, you get a little bit of a winning streak so that even if you lose to Milwaukee at home on MLK Day, you still have a little bit of momentum to build on, and they blew that. Plus, the thing that bothered me, even looking at the box score, the thing that bothered me about Wallen Beal, it had a very Boogie Cousins, Anthony Davis feel to it where the numbers are, are impressive, but when you kind of dig deeper and look at different points in the game, there are there was too many cases where Wall was trying to split a double team needlessly when people were open in the corner, particularly when Mike Scott was in the game or, or Bill just didn't seem to have a good sense of who was around him. And that, you know, that contributes to the struggle in crunch time. So I could make an argument for that, but I'm going to go to the Atlanta game two days after the Celtics game because they just, Atlanta had the worst record in the league at the time. You had all this goodwill you had built up. You, again, you had the chance to build that momentum to be put back into the national conversation and you just lay an egg against Atlanta. And this isn't the Atlanta team that you had in the playoffs. This this it's not the same team. And that was just it, it was just deflating and disappointing and it made me realize, okay, this team is not quite ready to take that next step. They're still mired in mediocrity. So that that was the most that was the most disappointing loss to me. Again, hard to argue then again last night's game I only probably the only reason I didn't pick it was just because it was almost like the last night's game. Like, uh, let me think, let me go back a little bit. But yes, a- any of these would work. They all have the same pattern uh, to some degree. Some of them worse than others. But yeah, uh, I should mention by the way, Atlanta has the worst record in the NBA right now. Second worst, the Orlando Magic, the team that will be visiting the Wizards on Friday night, followed immediately by the Brooklyn Nets on Saturday. So two more games where the Wizards, in theory. Should get right, get get a little bit back on track here, but they're going up against two teams that are that are bad. Orlando has lost twenty six of thirty games. That is hard to do. Twenty six of thirty games. That's what the Wizards are dealing with. Uh, we'll see if they can uh, get going here in that scenario. Um, let me ask you this question, Mister uh, Mobley. I'm gonna I'm gonna take you. I'm going to give you a question. I did not let you know in advance you were getting, so get get ready to be uh, to put your thinking cap on. The Wizards right now are in fifth in the East, nine and a half games back. By the way, I should mention I'm uh, stealing this question. I was asked this today on a podcast. The Wizards, I guess, radio network. It's a Wizards 24/7. Brian Albin is the host. They they were kind enough to have me on in the preseason. Uh, to do the preseason uh, preview for the Wizards, and then they had me on today for the midseason one. And knowing that Rashad and I were going to do this, I, I'm going to take this question because I thought it was a good one. Cross promotion and theft in the same sentence. Very impressive. <laughs> you know, you got to be got to got to got to be nice. Got to be nice. Um, all right. So the Wizards right now fifth in the East. They are three and a half games though behind Cleveland, who's currently in third place. And this is while we're talking, Cleveland is getting destroyed by Toronto, so they may be. It'll be probably be four back, but in any or uh, or I should say uh, uh, three games back. But right now, three and a half back. Um, so the three and a half back of that. They're also though three games behind Philadelphia, who lost today, uh, who is the current ninth seed. So I tell you this: what is more likely? You got to pick one side or the other. That the Wizards finish the season top three, or the Wizards finish the season out of the playoffs. Because it's basically their equal distance right now from third to ninth. Uh, I would say out of the playoffs, and I, I, I just don't feel comfortable saying that. But I also don't see them 
getting into that that top three only because I know who the coach of Boston is, and I cannot see them dropping off that precipitously, barring any other injury like to Kyrie. I think they're just going to stay the course, and they're going to stay in the top two the rest of the regular season. I think Toronto, it's much like the Wizards, once they get healthy, once they get everybody there, they're just they're a tough out with DeRozan playing at an all-star level. And Cleveland has LeBron. That's really all I need to say. But they're not going to sink back. He's not going to let them, unless, and this is the one caveat, unless they decide to go into that uh, 1995 Houston Rockets mode, which says, look, I don't care where we finish. We're going to get healthy. Let's just stay in the playoffs and let's rest players. And in that case, maybe the Wizards could leapfrog the Cavaliers. But I looked at that this morning when I woke up and saw, okay, what happens if the Wizards lose to Orlando and Brooklyn and everyone else wins? They're going to be closer to being out of the playoffs than they are in it. And when you look at the teams that are on the fringe of being in the playoffs, the 76ers and the Knicks and maybe the Hornets, these aren't teams that are going to get worse as the season goes on. I mean, these are... Philadelphia can easily rip off a five, six game winning streak if they already have before. So it's a cruel question, Ben. But I would say out of the playoffs is more likely. That's not what I want. That's not what I see happen. But if you're asking me to bet, I would say it's more likely that they're out of the playoffs. Yeah, that, that, that's my answer as well. And part of it is also this. Look, the Wizards have had, obviously, we, we, we all know this, they have now played a bunch of games against teams with losing records. And it does feel like... They often play a team with a losing record. And if you look at how many, they have now played 23 games against teams under 500. Um, you know, the, right, look at the teams immediately below them. Milwaukee has played 17, Detroit 16, Indiana 16, Philadelphia 14. In other words, the four teams immediately below the Wizards haven't played bad, a lot of bad teams yet. And if you look at the strength of schedule in the NBA, it's, it, this is reflective of that. The Wizards, have the 25th easiest schedule to date, whereas uh, Philadelphia is tied for the toughest schedule in the league with Charlotte. Detroit, 6th toughest. Indiana, 8th toughest. Milwaukee, 10th toughest. Now, Cleveland and Toronto are both actually below the Wizards. So, I guess, hypothetically, maybe they could catch them in that respect. But, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. The Wizards have had the easier part of their schedule so far, and this is where they're at, where we're, you know, they're as far they are from third place as they are from being out of the playoffs. So, yeah, the, the I would agree. Yes, I, I'm not suggesting they will miss the playoffs. I'm, I'm purposely making us have a uh, really tough decision here. But uh, but uh, but uh, but it just goes to show you that if they don't really get this going, you know, the, the, if they don't start putting some consistency together, and the other teams do get hot, they could be in a little bit of uh, in a little bit of hurt. All right, let's get to another one here. Most improved player, and look, this one's got all. A lot of lot of nominees for for, the, for this one. I mean, I'll just say you could make in a case that Bradley Beal, whose whose who's numbers have gone up across the board basically, except for shooting three point shooting, that, that he's he could be a candidate. Otto Porter's numbers are up. Uh, Kelly Oubre certainly is a better player. If you're just basing it off of last year, Jan Mahimi has improved. I don't. That's probably not how you're going to view it, or anybody would. But just saying, you could make that case. Thomas Sadoransky has made strides, and I guess if you consider what Mike Scott was a year ago or what expectations were, you could maybe even throw him into the mix, and I don't know, maybe you've got another case to be made. So lots of candidates for this one. Most improved player for the first half of the season for the Wizards. Who you got? 
I've only had one glass of wine, so I can't in good conscience vote for Mahimi. So let's just throw that out right away. Um, Oubre is second only because, and not to bring a football reference in here, but the, the thing that impresses me about Oubre is the same thing that is impressive about second-year quarterbacks when they stop throwing to wide-open receivers and they start anticipating where the receiver is going to be and throwing on a dime that way. Kelly Oubre is not scared to shoot with a hand in his face anymore. And it makes him a legitimate threat when he's in the corner on the wing or when he's off the dribble and he pulls up. He can shoot with the, with a hand in his face, and that was not the case last year. He would miss or he would defer. So I, I appreciate that part of his game as well as the ball handling and taking contact and getting to the rim. But I have to go with Sadoransky. Um, number one, he broke out a Eurostep last night. I didn't even see coming. It just hit me like a ton of bricks out of the blue. That was his only highlight of the whole night. But he's improved his game. He's confident. You know, he still can get tied up with smaller point guards who pester him up and down the floor. But even in that case, he has the sense to give the ball up early, run up the court, let someone else run the offense and get the ball back. He was he was able to supplant uh, Tim Frazier by winning the confidence of Scott Brooks only because Wall was injured. But now he's an integral part of the rotation last night, notwithstanding. And so I just think that's, the backup point guard has been a big issue in this town since Eric Maynard was here, or even before then, and he's kind of shored up that position. Uh, he's athletic. His defense leaves a little bit to be desired, but he at least tries. He's my most improved player. But Oubre is, is a close second because I, I do appreciate the parts of his game that have improved without having a drop-off in defense. But I'm biased because Adam Rubin is on my site. I have to say Saturansky. <laughs> well, uh, based on, if we're going to cite Adam Rubin, a frequent guest here as well, um, you know, I, I wouldn't want to upset him. So, yeah, I mean, my answer is also Sadoransky. And look, look, let's just look at some base numbers. He leads the NBA in assist to turnover ratio of players with, I want to say, at least like 15 minutes or averaging about 15 minutes a game. That That's not nothing. I mean, that, that you know, that, that my biggest concern for him among them coming into the year was, you know, what, what was his ball handling up to speed? to deal with NBA uh, uh, opposing point guards. And, you know, to have that kind of ratio says a lot about what he's able to do to fend those guys off, but also his his uh, smarts, his ability to, you know, get the ball where it needs to be, to get. Um, and that's been great. He's The fact that he's shooting over 40% from three is a huge deal. And, of course, most of all, you know, something I've, you know, talked about a hundred times here on this podcast, but at that point when John Wall got hurt, you know, Tim Frazier became the starter, but it was really the the revelation was really Sadoransky entering with the second unit, and that group just you know became so much better. Not saying it was all on him, but certainly his addition for a group that just doesn't have a go to score or, or guys who can you say here's the ball, go make a play. He really helped energize them, uh, help create more opportunities, and uh, yeah, uh, Ubre you can absolutely make a case for. You know, to some degree, you know, the, that Otto Porter, maybe not over the last week or two, but earlier on was, was getting more of that, uh, responsibility as the, uh, sort of the, the lone starters, starter with the backups. That was working well. That's not something he would have been doing a year ago. And, you know, again, Bradley Beal, you know, the, the, the portions of his game, especially on the dribble drive aspect of it are, are better. But yeah, for me, I'll go Sadoransky. That doesn't mean that they shouldn't necessarily go out and get another guard. Uh, in, in before the trading deadline, but I would go with Sadoransky. Um, it does lead me though into the next question, and that is, 
what is most needed on this team? You can interpret that in all kinds of different ways. It could be uh, a, a, a specific player. It could be a a a, uh, a part of the you know to the uh, an aspect of the team that they need. It could be something about mentality. Maybe it's better speaker systems in the Capital One Arena. I might go with that, but I don't know. I'm just saying. Could be a lot of things. Most needed for the Wizards going forward, based on what you've seen so far, what would the, what would your answer be? Uh, number one, Bradley Bill needs a bullhorn for post-game interviews so I can hear him. Uh, that's number one. Mm. Uh, number number two, I think Wall and Bill have to trust whatever supporting cast is on the floor in the clutch. Um, I, I, I mean, it's not just last night, but I've seen too many games where Wall, just because he can split any double team, falls in love with that and just forgets that the part of the beauty of this game is finding cutters and finding people off the dribble. And so there needs to be a little more trust with he and Bill at the end of the game because it'll open up their offense. Um, Brooks needs to settle on a rotation and soon everybody seems to be relatively healthy. Now he needs to settle on a rotation that he can rely on. So his bench players, excluding Jason Smith, who I guess is ready no matter when he gets into the game, but some of his other bench players need to know when they're going to get in the game, how long they're going to play. And that's just going to improve them. He hasn't really settled on a rotation yet. I have health on the list. And then, thanks to Todd Divis, I have Tariq Evans, who wasn't even on my radar as a possible player that the Wizards can get. But the more I think about it, he kind of, he's versatile. I mean, he can run the point. You know, he can be on the court with Wall and Beal and run the three. He's not a great defender, but he's a decent defender, and he's an aggressive player. And that, you know, that, that would be an interesting wrinkle. I don't know what they would have to give up to get him, but... I think it would be worth a conversation. So that's, that's that's my short list. Well, let me ask you just this as a sidetrack. If you call up Memphis right now and say, hey, we want Tyreek Evans, and, and they say, well, okay, great. We'll, he's an expiring contract. We stink. We're ready to go. But since you want us to not wait until the trading deadline where there's going to be more suitors, we want a first-round pick. You make that trade? Uh, forget what I do not. Yeah, and, and you probably have to add in uh, whatever a Frazier McCullough to make the money work. But you make that trade? I don't. I don't. As, as, as much as I'm hyping him up now, he's also injury prone, and that's the last thing you want. You don't want the curse of Labelle to kick in. He gets hurt. You, you don't have a number one pick, and now you draw the ire of people like me and you. So no, you can't give up a first round pick, a second round pick. Maybe some of the bench players is the only way I would do it. Um, it has to be a low-risk, high-reward situation. All right, fair enough. All right, since we've gone here o- o- over the time I was counting on, which is hardly unusual, just a quick uh, quick uh, take from you, for, from both of us. Uh, most likely for the Wizards, I got one more. Most likely for the Wizards, two All-Stars. They just put out the promotion for John Wall and Bradley Beal. More likely two All-Stars or zero All-Stars. Zero All-Stars, All-Stars, followed by the biggest chip on both of their shoulders and an amazing run in the second half, which leads to something favorable. So that's that's the that's, that's the path they're going to take. I think no All-Stars. Yeah, I mean, if, if somehow it comes down to they only take five guards on the East, and if you look at the front court, that's certainly possible. The front court has a lot of players. We all focus on the guards because of Wall and Beal, but there's, you know, somebody's going to get left out up front. If they only took five guards... It's absolutely conceivable the five guards are named Kyrie Irving, 
DeMar DeRozan, Victor Oladipo, uh, Kyle Lowry, and Ben Simmons. I mean, I, I don't know about the Simmons part exactly, but, you know, he's the leading rookie of the year candidate. Uh, you know, he's had, he, he's, he, his stats are pretty good. So, you know, just saying, you know, never know. Uh, but yes, I would agree. It, it's more likely zero than two at this point. Uh, unless the Wizards really get going here over these next couple weeks and, uh, start taking names. Right now, they're not doing that. But the name you need, you all need to take is Rashad Mobley, uh, at Rashad20 on Twitter. He is the coolest dude in the media room for sure. So go follow him on Twitter and go read his stuff on truthaboutit.net. Mr. Mobley, appreciate it as always, man. And, uh, you know, don't be, you know, don't be a stranger on the podcast. We gotta uh, do it more often. Sounds good. And I'll be there tomorrow night. Deal. Awesome. We will, uh, we will see you, uh, we will see you there. Thank you guys for listening back with more podcasts, um, soon. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, soon. We'll, we'll have more. Uh, until next time though. See ya. Deal. Gets open for three. Dagger! Long drive. Long shot. Dagger!